Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. I'm amazed at times how contemporary Jesus' stories are. Now I got to tell you, this is an amazing, uh, amazing occurrence that happened to me. What you don't know about how we prepare these messages is that the sermon texts that we preach to you, they're picked at least six months in advance on occasion up to a year in advance because we plan out all of our sermon series that far in advance so we can know where we're going as a church. Two weeks before a sermon is preached, I sit down in the quiet of my study and I go over the Greek or the Hebrew, as the case may be, if it's New Testament or Old Testament. So two Saturdays ago, Saturday, December 2nd, 2007, I was up early digging into uh, the Greek of this particular text, Luke chapter 12. And when I was finished, I went out to the kitchen and I got myself a cup of coffee And I opened the newspaper, Saturday, December 22nd, 2007. And here's what it says. A high school dropout who became a billionaire roofing company executive and one of the nation's richest people died Friday after falling through his garage roof. Ken Hendricks, who was 66, was the 91st richest man in the U.S., with a net worth of $3.5 billion in September, according to Forbes magazine. Hendricks grew up working side-by-side with his father, a Janesville roofer. After dropping out of high school, he started his own roofing business at age 21, according to a biography supplied by his company. Tired of dealing with multiple suppliers scattered around the country, he and his wife, Diane, started a national supply distribution chain in 1992. ABC Supply Company, based in Beloit, Wisconsin, about 60 miles southwest of Milwaukee, celebrated its 25th anniversary this year with 6,000 employees in 390 locations nationwide. It does about $3 billion in business each year. Hendricks himself was unfazed by his wealth. It doesn't make any difference to me. I can't spend it, he said in an interview with Inc. Magazine in September 2006. I'd have to sell the company. Now listen to this. I'd have to sell the company, and I'll sell the company over my dead body. 
Direct quote. Hendricks was checking on construction on his garage roof in the town of Rock about late Thursday when he fell through, Rock County Sheriff's Department Commander Troy Knudsen said. He suffered a massive head injury and died in surgery Friday at Rockford Memorial Hospital in Winnebago County. Certainly we feel sad that a man lost his life. But how amazing it is and how contemporary it is, the story that Jesus tells to illustrate the fact that no matter how much stuff we have, we can't take it with us. It doesn't go beyond this very brief, short life, this time of grace that God has allowed us to have. You know, last week we talked about the idol of position. Remember that? The false God we follow when we're more concerned about our status and our standing with with others around us than we are with our standing with God. And we learn two important things. God has already given all of us the most important status that we could ever desire. By giving us his son, Jesus Christ, he's given us the status of a child of God. And as we heard in the text last week, because of Jesus' blood and Jesus' righteousness, your status is that you are redeemed and you are holy in God's sight. And there is no greater status to be had than that. And the second important thing we learned last week about the idol of status or or standing or position is that When we know where we stand with God, everything else falls into place. We're going to come back to that actually today as we talk about a second idol, the idol of possessions. We're going to come back to how important our standing is with God because once we understand our standing with God, we focus in on the right audience, don't we? What we talked about last week as the audience of one, capital O, the audience of one. You know, the idol of possessions, the the idol that we're going to take up today is really one of the most dangerous idols in today's world, especially in America, because we are surrounded by the worship of this idol. The sin of materialism in our country today is so invasive that we meet it everywhere. In fact, it's become so widely scattered that it's almost impossible for us to recognize that that's what it is. And the thing about the idol of possessions is that it can truly rip our heart away from that one that we want to worship God, who's given us so much. Think about, for example, our culture's tendency to treat all of you and me as objects. You know what you're called in the eyes of the marketplace? You're called a consumer. And do you know how you're measured in the eyes of the marketplace? You're measured as a consumer unit. Not as a person. Not as someone to really care about, but as a consumer unit that is to be exploited for what's in your wallet, whether it be cash or, in some cases, credit. And your only value to those who are worshipped at the idol of consumerism and possessions is 
what you are able to contribute to the bottom line. Now, that's not true of all companies. I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush. There are a lot of good companies that care more than that about you. But for those who worship at the idol of possessions, that's what we are, consumer units. No one in this room, myself included, has the power to change such, a, such an all-invasive worldview. Not even in our own hearts. We don't have that power. There's only one who has the power, and that's God himself. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And that's why I started with the Apostles' Creed. Because the one who has the power to break the idol of possessions hold on our hearts is the one who gave up his most precious possessions for you and me. Think about it. You can go right down the list of the three persons in the Trinity. Our Heavenly Father, he gave up his most priceless possession for you, his one and only Son. In John 3.16, you know it well. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, God's son, gave up his most treasured possession, his own life and his own blood. The Bible tells us that Jesus' blood is at once holy and precious. And he gave that up for you so that you could have everlasting life and live with God forever. What a treasure. Even the Holy Spirit. Do you know what's the one thing that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to all of us and give to all of us? The, the one thing that we always think of as the treasured possession of the Holy Spirit, do you know what that is? It can all be summarized by one word, peace. Peace. The Holy Spirit wants you to have the peace that goes beyond all understanding. And do you know that the Holy Spirit himself gave up his own peace? The Bible tells us on several occasions that the Holy Spirit is grieved when he sees us following idols like position and possessions. Imagine that the Holy Spirit gave up his own peace and was willing to be grieved over our sinful hearts so that he could come through the word and the sacraments and put peace, everlasting, unimaginable peace in our hearts. So this morning as we begin, Jonathan's going to play us a song and remind us that everything that we're going to say about the idol of possessions and about the core point being rich toward God flows from our faith in the love that God first had for us and his willingness to give up his most priceless possessions for us. You can have all this world if you have Jesus, the one who is willing to give up his very life. I want to tell you that that truth got a little personal for me this week. <clears throat> got to show you my new wallet. I was working out on... Uh, See, what was that? That was Thursday night in my gym. Had a very wonderful, restful, peaceful workout until I went back to my locker, which had been safely locked, 
in the workout room and uh, noticed that the door was open. Now, if you were to uh, compare this brand new wallet with my old wallet, you'd notice that it's, uh, it's really significantly thinner than my old wallet because that popped locker was popped because a thief came in and uh, took my former wallet. And uh, I had to sit back on the week when I was going to be teaching about possessions and think through the issues of having lost my cash, right? My credit cards, my identity, and a number of other things that I wished I hadn't had in that wallet, including my social security card. I know, I know. Not supposed to carry your social security card around, are you? But they were all in there when the thief took the wallet. And you know what? Bill said it so beautifully this morning in our, in our prayer session before church. He said, you know, it's, it's not really ours after all. When the Holy Spirit has planted Jesus in our hearts, when we've been given Jesus. See, the song says, give me Jesus, and the Holy Spirit has given you Jesus. When Jesus is in our hearts, one of the very first things he teaches us is, this whole world does not belong to you or me. And in reality, the cash in my wallet wasn't mine. The credit cards in my wallet, they said Jeff Gunn on them. But truly, they weren't mine. The identity in my wallet, not mine. You know what my true identity is? Child of God. Call me any name you want, truly. But the name that I most want to have is that name, Child of God. And all of that, is God's, including the wallet. It's his. And that's what I know that each and every one of you believe too. And so why is it that so frequently we're challenged by this idol of possessions? I mean, when that wallet first got stolen out of the locker and I first picked up on the fact, oh man, I was on my cell phone pretty quickly. And I even did a little detective work. And then after that initial reaction, I settled back and I remembered. It's not mine. It's, it's really all God's. And that's what Jesus is reminding us of this morning. And he really encapsulates the whole thing in this one phrase that's at the very end of this text. Pull out your crosswalk notes or open up your Bibles again. And verse 21, if you want the core of what Jesus is saying via this parable, it all comes out in verse 21. And remember what provokes Jesus to say this. There's a man in the crowd who says, Jesus, someone's not able to divide the inheritance with me. I think I'm going to maybe get ripped off here. Jesus refused to be a judge and an arbiter, but he teaches this lesson instead and here's his conclusion, the bottom line of Jesus' message. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. 
We're going to tee off on that little phrase this morning, rich toward God, and what it really means, because that's really what, uh, what Jesus is teaching us this morning. If you want to avoid worshiping at the altar of possessions, then the secret is having a heart that says, how can I be rich toward God? And the secret of having a heart that that asks that question is what we've said already several times. It's understanding the truths that are in the Apostles' Creed of all that God has done for us in his mercy and love. It's understanding the truths of that song that Jonathan just sang. Take the world. All I truly need is Jesus Christ. It's understanding the truths that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have all given up their most treasured possessions first for you and for me. That's where it all starts. If you want to talk about being rich toward God, remembering that God has been rich toward you. And so Jesus actually goes into this a little bit more deeply, and he gives us three things this morning that I'm going to talk about that will help us all, hopefully, be rich toward God. And I want you to pick back up your Bibles again and take a look at what it says, first of all, in the very first part of when Jesus deals with this man. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? He goes, I'm not going to play that game. And then he says, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Important words. How do we battle the idol of possessions? How do we fight back against the sin of materialism that is all around us? Well, Jesus essentially starts with this first point of being rich toward God. And like so many other things, being rich toward God begins with the removal of an obstacle, a roadblock, something that's damming up the works so that our hearts can't be rich toward God. And you know what that, that roadblock toward generosity and richness to God is? Jesus calls it greed. And he says, guard against it. Now, how do we do that? How do we guard against greed? Well, I want, to think, I want you to think about anyone who's guarding. First of all, if you're guarding against something, it means you've got to be constantly vigilant, right? You might even want to write these down in the, in the little blank space I left for you in your crosswalk notes. There's going to be four points about guarding against greed. The first one is be constantly vigilant. I'll, I'll transfer it over to the, to the diet world that I'm so familiar with. If I want to stay on track with my diet, I have to be constantly vigilant. I have to watch what pay, passes through the gate of my mouth. And in fact, I've learned that if I want to stay at the weight that I want to be at, I have to back it up from there. I have to be so vigilant with food that the things that aren't really very good for me, you know those salsa verde Doritos that I love so much? It's better if I don't even allow them in the house. I have to be vigilant. And Jesus is is saying to us, "Be, be practicing that vigilance when it comes to greed. Secondly, he says, identify it. You know, if you've ever seen a a good old war movie, 
that the guard always has a stock phrase, right? When someone approaches, halt. Who goes there? If we want to be guarding ourselves against greed, we have to understand when greed is approaching and what greed really is. Webster says greed is an excessive or reprehensible acquisitiveness. An excessive or reprehensible desire to acquire, in other words, to get more stuff into our lives. Covetousness is the same as selfishness, really. And it is all about when we want things that we don't have in a way that is not pleasing to God. And you know what selfishness is, don't you? Selfishness is that, that tendency that's in us from the time we're a baby to go, that's mine. That's mine. I don't want to share it. You can have it. That's mine. And those two attributes, so natural to our sinful nature, are in every one of us, and it's something that Jesus says, guard against it. God calls the one who lusts, an adulterer, doesn't he? He calls the one who hates a murderer. And he calls the one who is covetous or who has this sinful desire to acquire, he calls that person an idolater. And that's what we're here to talk about this morning, guarding against that by guarding against greed. Learn to differentiate. That's the third point if you want to guard. As with most things that want access, greed is very comfortable wearing a disguise. You have to learn to really be able to differentiate greed from other things. Greed can come disguised for just one example as generosity. Greed will come into your heart and your mind and say, oh, you know why I have to have this thing? I have to have this thing because I can use it to help another person. And we justify our greed by saying, oh, I'll, I'll use it to help another person. But in reality, are we really thinking about the other person or are we thinking about ourselves? Greed can come disguised as a good deal. Greed can even come disguised as I'm saving money, right? You ever pulled that one on yourself? Look, this is such a good deal. It's on sale. I'm Saving money with this thing. Learn to differentiate if you want to guard your heart against greed between what's greed and what's just a disguise. And the fourth thing, if we want to guard our hearts against greed, is we have to block it. Every good guard knows that a good fence and a good gate is worth its weight in gold. The Bible actually says, do more than just block it. It says, flee temptation. When you see greed threatening to come toward your heart and your mind, the Bible actually says, turn tail and run from that greed. Get away from it so far that it's even more than just having a fence or gate up against it. It's, it's hard. Just going uh, through the mall to replace my wallet. I found myself, oh. It had been a while since I've been in a mall. 
I, I don't shop very much. Wow, there's some pretty cool stuff in that store. And I started to wander in there. Looked at wallets in a couple different stores. And it's amazing, you know, how many things pull at our heartstrings if we're in that position to see them. One of the things that, that we've done in our own household to guard against greed is we try to get rid of the, the catalogs and all that stuff. You know, the moment that you start looking at stuff you can have, it's amazing what that does. So this is the first thing that Jesus is teaching us, and I'm going to make this real practical for you. I got 10 points for guarding against greed. I'm just going to reel them off real quick. You, you write down which ones that you think are helpful to you. Number one, recognize that nothing is a good deal if you can't afford it. Two, recognize, please, that God is not behind every good deal. Oh, this must be a God thing. Look at there. 50% off. Not always. Understand the difference between spending money and saving money. We talked about that one a little bit earlier. When you're spending money, you're not saving money. Trust me on that. Look at the long-term cost, not just the short-term expense. You buy something, what's it going to cost you to maintain it? What are you going to have to buy to feed it? In other words, you buy a CD player, you're not done, are you? You got to feed the CD player, right? And the CD player loves $15 CDs. Pray before you spend. I think this is huge. Ask God to give you discernment and wisdom. Examine every purchase in light of its ministry potential. Now, there are some things that we can purchase that can truly help other people. And that's good. And there are other times when we might say, I'm foregoing this purchase because I want something to happen in God's kingdom, and I'm going to use my money for that instead. Understand the manipulative nature of advertising. Do you know how good these guys are? Do you know how much they study your brain so that they can tug you into their stores or onto their website? Do you know? It's amazing the research that's done into your mind. And lastly, and maybe more imp- most importantly, learn to walk away from things that you don't need. As Luther, and I've quoted this one many times, as he was fond of saying about any kind of temptation, you can't prevent the bird from flying over your head, right? Greed is going to fly over your head. But you know what you can prevent? You can prevent the bird from building a nest on top of your head using your hair as material. Be on your guard against the temptation of greed. The Bible teaches us this in many places. For of this you can be sure, and I put this one in your crosswalk notes, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And then in Proverbs 28, 15, the Bible tells us, a greedy man stirs up dissension, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Beautiful words, and, and just exactly the same as what Jesus is saying when he encounters this man who wants to have his inheritance divided. And he says, young man, be on your guard 
against all kinds of greed. Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So here's your first point for this morning about being rich toward God. You want to be rich toward God, it starts with guarding your heart against greed. Well, I have to tell you that last week was my week to just have things jump out of the newspaper in regard to the message that you're hearing today. This one was called Mortality Reminders Ignite Charitable Side. Real interesting experiment that was conducted. And uh, it's an experiment about what they've labeled, psychologists have labeled the Scrooge effect. Okay, now let me read you a little bit. I won't read this whole article. One and a half centuries after Charles Dickens wrote those lines, a social psychologist in Colorado conducted an unusual experiment. Thomas Pazinski and his colleagues tracked down men and women walking down a street in Boulder, Colorado, and asked them to take a short survey. Some people were interviewed in front of a funeral home. Now, that's a key point. And others were interviewed blocks away from the funeral home. Everyone received identical surveys. The survey asked people their opinions about a number of charities. In return for completing the survey, the psychologist offered to make a small donation to a charity of each person's choice. Pazinski said that people who answered the survey while standing in front of the funeral home, which had a large sign displaying Howe's mortuary, were far more positive about charitable donations than those who are interviewed 150 feet away from the mortuary where they could not see the sign. Not only that, he says, the people interviewed near the funeral home were more likely to say that kindness and generosity were qualities that were personally important to them. You know why it's called the Scrooge effect, don't you? Because what changed Scrooge's mind about hoarding everything to himself. It was when he was shown the ghost of Christmas future, right? When he was shown his own mortality. You know what I found particularly interesting about this? Take a look back in our text for today. This rich man, he produces this great crop. He thinks to himself, what shall I do? I don't have any place to store my crops. I'm going to build bigger barns. I have plenty of good things laid up for many years. I'm going to take my life easy. I'm going to eat and drink and be merry. And what does God say to him in verse 20? Did you notice? What God says to him in verse 20 indicates that he had forgotten what all those people who were interviewed 150 feet away from the mortuary had also forgotten, and that is that we are all mortal beings. You know what a mortal being is? It means our life is short. We are all going to die. We're all going to one day be in that mortuary. And in fact, Jesus says to this rich man in the parable, that day is today. Verse 20 reads, But God said to him, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? In this man's ignoring his own mortality, 
He allows, his, he allows himself to indulge in all kinds of sinful fantasies about what he can do with his stuff. He not only forgets his mortality, he forgets who the true owner of all this stuff is and what it's meant to be. Pull out your crosswalk notes again. I have a little exercise for you to do. Grab a pen. Go to verse 16 in this part right here. I'm going to have you circle some words. I'm reading beginning at verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, circle himself. What shall I do? Circle I. I have no place to store my crops. Circle I and my. You get the theme? Then he said, this is what I'll do. Circle I'll. I, circle that, will tear down my, circle that, barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Circle I and my and my. And I'll say to myself, circle I'll and myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. How many times does he use the words I, my, or self? I think I counted a dozen. Do I have it right? Does that tell you something? When we are concerned about self, and that's part of the reason why the subtitle of this, this whole series is, do I want to worship God or serve myself? When we are only concerned about serving ourselves, it is going to lead away from God and worshiping him and keeping him number one in our lives. And it is one of the reasons why possessions can begin to rule over our hearts and minds because we begin to think it's all about me. That's very dangerous. And so what Jesus is really telling us is something awesome. It is something that leads to the greatest adventure in life. He says, do the opposite of that. Stop thinking that it's all about me. Stop saying I and mine and self. And get into the adventure of faith. The adventure of walking with Christ that says, there is nothing greater, nothing more fun than serving others and being selfless. Because isn't that what God did for us? Wasn't he totally selfless? So that you and I could, could have a heart that is like his, that says, what can I do for another person? It's just so awesome sometimes when I see that crosswalk is filled, literally filled, with people in whose hearts and minds God is at work to be selfless people. Remember what Jonathan said? Let me read it again. 
Christmas Eve offering results. The Christmas Eve worship concert marked the end of our month of compassion at Crosswalk. The offering total for Christmas Eve was $2,768.96, bringing our total for the month of compassion to $3,965.96. In one month, completely apart from the church's budget, God worked in your hearts and minds to lay on top for him and for his people to help hurting people in our community nearly $4,000. Plus that big pile of shoes that got put back there. Plus all the things that I know that you were doing over this past month that Crosswalk knows nothing about. And you're just doing them in your family, in your community. And once in a while, Pastor Jeff gets a little glimpse because someone will come and say, the coolest thing happened to me the other day. The coolest thing happened to me the other day. And then they'll relate some story about how God moved their heart to be generous and to stop thinking about themselves and think about someone else. And then they'll go, And then this amazing thing happened. And I hear those stories constantly. And so I know that it's not just a snapshot of what I can see happening here at Crosswalk that tells even a sliver of the whole story of what God is doing in your hearts to move you to be selfless instead of selfish. And all I want to say to you this morning is what Paul said, the Apostle Paul said, to the Macedonians and the, and the other Christians that were, were doing exactly what you're doing. You know what he said to them? Keep on doing it and more and more. Keep on doing it and more and more. When we know God, when we know his love and mercy, that's, that's going to flow from us naturally, a selflessness. J.R.R. Tolkien Lord of the Rings, you know that he was a Christ follower? Do you know that as he developed the character Gollum, it was to show spiritually what happens to us when selfishness displaces selflessness? The decision is not difficult for me. I'm sure it's not difficult for you. Because with Christ in our hearts, There's not a one of us that wants to look like that in the sight of God. Not a one of us. And how much more awesome and wonderful it is that God gives us this opportunity to serve him by being selfless. And that's your second point, and then we'll move on to our final point. The second point is this. God wants us to stand for selflessness. Our final point is this, and it comes right out of that last statement. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. What does that mean, really, to be rich toward God? Well, I want to first start by letting you know that in the Greek, that little preposition, rich toward God, is a little word, three-letter word, ice. And and in actual fact, that word can not only mean toward, it can also mean in. 
And I think that's a, a beautiful picture that lets us in on a, a really important secret about being rich toward God. It starts with being rich in God. And, and what I mean by that is it, it starts with being satisfied with that truth that Jonathan and the band sang earlier. If I have Jesus Christ, I have it all. I have everything I need because if I have Jesus Christ, I have forgiveness, I have hope, I have power to live a new life on this earth, and most importantly, in the cross of Christ, I have everlasting life, eternity with God in heaven. There's nothing more I truly need than that. So it starts with being rich in God and knowing that if I have God, I'm, I'm rich beyond belief. But flowing from that, then, is that second definition of that little Greek word, ice, and that is when I, when I have Christ, when I, when I know that he's given his most precious possessions for me, to save me, then I want to give back. It's natural. It's like a gut-level instinct for me now in my new man that I almost feel compelled to say thank you to God. Thank you, God, for all that you've done for me. Now, you know, I've said this many times, that Crosswalk is an outreach church. We're constantly having new people come in our doors. And, and maybe today's message about money is one that uh, is, is having a newcomer saying, wow, is this what this church is all about? This guy likes to talk about money a lot. Well, all I can say to that is, this is definitely a subject that Jesus did not mind talking about. And I think it's important when we have that feeling of that compulsion to thank God, to understand how we go about that. Do you know how to go about thanking your God and being rich toward God now that you're rich in God? The Bible is actually pretty clear about it. And I'm gonna, if you want to pull out your pen, I'm going to give you some real clear ways to be rich toward God. As you consider your offering of thanksgiving to God, you need to consider three important things. Not only your, your treasures, your money, and your goods, but also your time and your talents. So in the back of your mind, you can also include your time and your talents. Now, today we're talking specifically about treasures. But here are five points that God makes in the Bible about giving thanks to God. First of all, God asks you, in response to his love for you, to give him regular gifts. As often as he blesses you with income, he asks that we set aside a share for him. So the first question to ask yourself in, in terms of am I being rich toward God is, am I giving back to God regularly as God gives me income? Second point that God makes in the Bible. God asks for first fruits gifts. Regular gifts. Secondly, first fruits gifts. You know what first fruits gifts are? Those are gifts that when we thank him, we say we want God to have our first and our best that we have to offer. Are we giving God the leftovers, the remainders? Or are we giving God our thanks to him off the top of our income? First fruits giving. Third, God asks for proportionate gifts. Proportionate gifts. That means God doesn't look at the size of the gift you give. He looks at the size of the income that it came from. 
You get what I'm saying there? He's not looking at the size of your gift. He's looking at the size of the income that it came from. And proportionate means percentage. Now, many of you have heard about the tithe. The tithe was God's Old Testament method of setting a certain amount, a certain proportion of the offerings. In the New Testament, do you know that that God does not set a certain proportion? He doesn't say you must give 10% anymore. Now, a lot of Christians have taken that to mean good. I can give 2% or 3%. God will be good with that. But you know what the Bible says about Old Testament law? The Bible equates Old Testament law to training wheels. 10%, in other words, is the training wheels of our giving. If you're not at 10% in your giving, you don't have the training wheels on yet. God says in the book of Galatians that the Old Testament law was intended to be like a schoolmaster to be able to guide us for a short time until Christ would come and free us to follow God wholeheartedly. What does Jesus say about the woman who brings two little mites? He says, this is a beautiful gift. Not because it's tiny, but because it represents 100% of what she owned. What proportion will you bring? That's between you and God. Proportionate. Fourthly, God asks for joyful gifts. That might help you understand the proportion, right? How joyful is your heart as you give? How free is your heart as you give back to God? It should be very free in your giving. And finally, God asks for gifts that are considered prayerfully. Considered prayerfully in dialogue with him. When you set your proportion for your thank offering back to God, you do that? You sit down first and you pray and you say, God, help me understand what proportion you want from me. Help me to have the strength to give you from my first and my best, not from what's left over. All these ways are ways in which, tiny ways, we're not even talking too much about time and talents this morning, but through your treasures that you can be rich toward God. You know why that's so important? Where's that money going? Some of you will say, well, went toward these chairs and this carpet. Some of you will say, it's going toward ministry, and that's a good thing. We can expand gospel outreach. And I would say, you're still not there at the right answer. Where is that money going, really? In a very real, yet spiritual sense, your offering is going back to God. And that's what's important. When you consider what your offering is, that's the number one thing you should be thinking in your heart and your mind. This is what I want to go back to God, to thank him for all that he's first done for me. And that leads to our third and final point, Take a look at these passages. Matthew six nineteen to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy 
and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God's your treasure. Your heart is going to be with him, and your thank offerings will reflect that. And 2 Corinthians 9.12 says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Jesus wants us to pursue prosperity toward God. That's your third point. I'm going to make just one last practical point, and then I'm done. Growth Groups is starting up. This semester in growth groups, one of our church's leaders is going to be running a course called Financial Peace University, started by Dave Ramsey. If you are at all struggling with this whole concept of what to do about the financial resources, if you have problems with debt, if you're worried about how to make ends meet, if if there's anything of this, Inside your heart, I want you to take a look at that growth group, Financial Peace University. I want you to talk to Tom Weinstein, who will be teaching that course. And I want you to enroll. I'm going to be upfront with you. It's going to cost you 100 bucks to enroll in Financial Peace University. That's the, the cost of the fee, the fee of the course. But I promise you that if you are struggling with this issue, it will be the best $100 that you have ever spent because it will lead you back to God and his plan for your finances. Let's take a look at those next steps in the crosswalk for this week. Guard against greed by substituting faith. Trusting God for provision is the secret of true contentment. Pray and act. You know, when you know that God supplies all that you need, you don't have to feel like you got to hoard. Secondly, choose a target for selfless generosity this week. Do you know someone that needs your selfless generosity? Pick a name and act on that. Look next door, in the next cubicle, in your growth group at Crosswalk. And finally, meditate on and memorize Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.